What would your reaction be if you were to suddenly meet the Lord Jesus Christ? Would you be excited at such a great moment in your life, or would you be embarrassed for fear your lifestyle would not stand up to his scrutiny? This is the topic of Dr. Charles E. Fuller's message today, and he's going to tell you about a man who found himself in that exact situation. Stay tuned. You won't want to miss what Dr. Fuller has to say on this topic, and it's all coming up on today's edition of the Old Fashioned Revival Hour. Christian Heritage Ministry, in cooperation with Fuller Seminary, proudly presents the Old Fashioned Revival Hour, an international broadcast of the Gospel with Dr. Charles E. Fuller. Welcome to another broadcast of the Old Fashioned Revival Hour. If you have been with us for the last few broadcasts, you know that Dr. Fuller is teaching a series of messages on the early church going through the book of Acts. Today's program is about a man who met Jesus on a road after his crucifixion, death, and resurrection. The title of Dr. Fuller's message is Seeing the Risen Lord. But before we join Dr. Fuller today, we have a guest who periodically joins us to reflect upon the celebration of our religious holidays. Dr. Richard Mao, president of Fuller Theological Seminary, is joining us again today to reflect upon the celebration of Easter, which is just a week from today. Dr. Mao, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us. Greetings, Kurt. It's great to be with you today. Dr. Mao, Easter is a wonderful season for Christians. Could you share your thoughts with our listeners on what is really at the heart of the Easter story? Well, you know, uh, very often you get a lot of sentimental stuff around Easter time. That this is a time of new life and things growing out of the earth in the springtime and stories about the Easter bunny bringing eggs and candy to kids. But for the Christian, Easter is really about a Savior who went to the cross and then came out of the tomb having really been dead and is now alive. And that's just such a wonderful story because it says that the worst thing that can happen to human beings, which is death, isn't really the end. But that Jesus Christ, having come out of the tomb, brings with him hope for all of us that death is not the end for us, but that we can be given eternal life through the atoning work of Jesus Christ. Dr. Mao, so many of us are blessed to have family celebrations on Easter with food, fun, and fellowship. But for some people, Easter season is marred by loneliness, pain, loss, and a sense of being unloved. Would you share some thoughts on how the Easter message brings hope to those persons who have lost hope? Well, you know, Kurt, Mother Teresa once said that the worst thing that any human being can experience is to be unloved. Because to be unloved is really to be without hope. It's to be without any sense that good things can happen to us because we feel so unworthy. And the fact that God sent his son into the world and that that son went to the cross and was raised from the dead on our behalf is a wonderful message of hope. But it's a message of hope that accompanies a message of love, that God so loved the world and that God did not just love the world in general, but he loved each one of us. Billy Graham said recently at the end of his long career as an evangelist that the one thing that stands out in his mind is that God loves everyone. There's no human being 
that is apart from God's wonderful plan of sending the Savior to rescue us from that which threatens us, even that terrible threat of death and the loss of who we are as human beings. So Easter is a wonderful reminder, not only of hope, but of the loving mercies of God that sent the Savior into the world. Dr. Mao, how would you describe the mission of Fuller Seminary, especially in light of the vision of the seminary's founder, Dr. Charles E. Fuller? Well, Kurt, I think one way to say it is that Fuller Seminary is very much an Easter seminary. It's a seminary that takes seriously the victory of the empty tomb, which, of course, is closely related to the victory of the cross on which the Savior died on Good Friday. Charles Fuller was a marvelous evangelist, a visionary radio broadcaster, and a tremendous communicator. But the secret to his success was that he really had something to communicate. He had something to say, and he was excited. He had a passion for the proclamation of the gospel, which led him to this very creative ministry that we are still able to present to our friends out there who listen week after week to this radio broadcast. I remember listening as a child to Dr. Fuller's broadcast and hearing also from his wife, Honey, as she read the letters and the wonderful singing of the quartet and the choir and Rudy Atwood on the piano. I was thrilled as a young teenager to come to California and to go to the auditorium at Long Beach, listen to Dr. Fuller in person, and it was all there. It was just as I had imagined it for many years in my childhood at the end of the service when Dr. Fuller came down off the stage from which he spoke. We were able to line up and go and shake hands with him. And as a little kid, I got to shake hands with Dr. Fuller. And the mission of Fuller Seminary today is very much the same as it was in the beginning when it was established by Dr. Charles Fuller in 1947. It's a seminary that is deeply committed to the cause of the gospel. We teach a lot of things at Fuller Seminary. We teach Christian psychology. We teach cross-cultural communication, church planting, Hebrew, Greek, the study of the scriptures, the study of church history, systematic theology. But what it all comes down to, what it all is about, is this very basic message that Charles Fuller proclaimed every week, and that is that we have a story to tell to the nations, that the Savior has come and he has had victory over sin and death. Dr. Mao, the old-fashioned revival art was known for music with its marvelous choir and quartet. Over the next couple of broadcasts, the program will be featuring the music of Easter. Of all the great Easter hymns, does any one stand out as a favorite for you? Well, I love them all. You know, Christ the Lord is risen today. And then we sing, Hallelujah. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty conquest o'er his foes. It's the victory of Easter. And that's such joyful music that we hear on Easter Sunday morning. I think it's important for us to go through that whole week preceding Easter. We like to sort of jump from Christmas to Easter, and it's so important for us to go through the time of his suffering, at those terrible hours when he hung on the cross and bore not only the terrible pain that any human being would have experienced under those circumstances, but also the suffering that was unique because he carried our sin and guilt to the cross, and he died for all of our sins. And then Easter Sunday, we shout the victory. And the Easter music is very much a music of victory that we experience with great joy because of all of the stuff that has gone before it. Dr. Mao, I know that you have to travel to many different countries and cities as the president of Fuller Seminary. 
In your journeys around the world, visiting Christian leaders, churches, and seminaries, is there one Easter experience that stands out in your mind? Many of our students come here, especially to our Pasadena campus from places in Africa, many of the countries in Europe that have long been under the scourge of communism, students who come from desperately poor places and countries like Haiti and some of the South American countries. And Easter does have a very special meaning for them because it's a time of hope. And many of them come from places in the world where hopelessness is a daily experience. And when you see little kids dying of malnutrition, hunger, AIDS, uh, malaria on the African continent. I was talking to one of our students recently who said that his daily messages from his home in Africa are about funerals, funerals of people who are dying of AIDS and other terrible diseases that afflict large populations in Africa. And it's so important for us to take an honest look at the suffering that's going on in the world. And in the light of that, celebrate the fact that Satan does not have the last word. That human suffering isn't the end of the story. But that for those of us who are in Jesus Christ, we can look forward to a day when Jesus says, Behold, I make all things new. That the one who is raised from the dead will someday return and will be uh, the victorious ruler over a whole new creation and will bring us together with him as the people of the Lamb to live with him and to reign with him for all eternity. What a wonderful message of hope we experience at Easter. Dr. Mao, one last question. From the mail we receive, I know we have a lot of prayer warriors in our listening audience. How can our listeners pray for Fuller Seminary and its students at this glorious time of year? Kurt, I'd very much appreciate our listeners' prayers now and throughout the year. I'd like to ask them to pray for the entire Fuller community, our alumni who are serving in almost every country of the world as preachers and ministers of the gospel, as counselors, as church planters, people working in mission agencies. I'd like to ask them to pray for our students who come from about 70 countries around the world, representing more than 100 denominations. And please pray that as they learn and study and grow and worship together, that they will be equipped for just the ministry that the Lord wants them to have. I also ask that you pray for our faculty. They're some of the finest Christian scholars and leaders And they're impacting many lives for Christ, and they do so with great dedication to the cause of the gospel. Fuller Seminary is a very exciting place to be, but it's also a theological school that very much needs the prayers of God's people. Dr. Mao, it's been a real pleasure to steal you away from your busy schedule to spend a few minutes with our listeners. It's great to be stolen, Kurt, and I always look forward to these times when I can share some thoughts with the wonderful folks out there who are listening to this broadcast. Dr. Mal, thanks again for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us. Well, the old-fashioned revival hour is already underway. At the close of the broadcast, I'll give you information on how you can contact us for a free copy of this message or a catalog of the music and other resources that are available from this ministry. Without further ado, let's join the broadcast already in progress.
heavenly sunshine. My great audience here today at the Long Beach Municipal Auditorium, I want you to sing out to the millions listening in around the world, especially at this Easter season, sending out heavenly sunshine, Jesus, the light of the world. Well, all together, heavenly sunshine. Turn right around, give everybody a good handshake.
on radio. Mrs. Fuller with the letters. Go right ahead, honey. Well, greetings, friends. We're having a beautiful service here in the auditorium in Long Beach. We have a white cross about 12 feet high, and at the base are all calla lilies, and large bunches of callas across the front of the platform. And before we went on the air, the auditorium was darkened and rose lights were thrown on the cross, while Beth Farnham and Miss, Mrs. Croker sang... The Old Rugged Cross. It was very beautiful, and I wish you all might have seen and heard it. From Glasgow, Scotland, a nurse from the Northern Hospitals writes a lovely letter. I would like to send across the world a note to tell you how we appreciate your broadcast services. Thursday night comes the hour we eagerly look forward to. Our duties keep us many Sundays from church, but your service is a great uplift to our hearts. This past Thursday, I was so depressed and I felt my Savior so far away. But whilst listening to your messages, your message from Acts 2, with your voice repeating the word Jesus, my heart was touched, and oh, how I wished I might put my hand up to your plea. Instead, in my room alone with the radio, my Bible, and Sankey hymns, I just went to my knees, and with tears streaming, I came face to face with Jesus. From Glasgow, Scotland, a nurse from the Northern Hospitals writes a lovely letter. I would like to send across the world a note to tell you how we appreciate your broadcast services. Thursday night comes the hour we eagerly look forward to. Our duties keep us many Sundays from church, but your service is a great uplift to our hearts. This past Thursday I was so depressed, and I felt my Savior so far away. But whilst listening to your messages... Your message from Act 2, with your voice repeating the word Jesus, my heart was touched, and oh, how I wished I might put my hand up to your plea. Instead, in my room alone with the radio, my Bible, and Sankey hymns, I just went to my knees, and with tears streaming, I came face to face with Jesus. We have many letters telling of conversions for which we are thankful and we ask you to pray especially for the old-fashioned revival hour at this time, for there is great need of our friends standing by. Now, this last letter is very brief. I shall read you from Saskatchewan in Canada. It's interesting and touching. 
On Christmas morning, our beloved queen was to speak at eight, and I mentioned to my wife that we should listen to her first Christmas message. But when our youngsters heard that we planned to listen to something else rather than the old-fashioned revival hour at eight, they protested, and our little eight-year-old said, Oh, Daddy, if we listen to the Queen, we'll miss Mr. Fuller and Heavenly Sunshine. Our children are very patriotic, and they love the Queen whom they saw when she was in Canada last year. So you see, Mr. Fuller, what a place you hold in their hearts that they hate to miss you even for the Queen. Isn't that sweet? And that's all I shall have time for today, friends. May we stand, please, and sing, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. to have our son Daniel with us to lead us in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank thee that in the midst of this world characterized by decay and death and declension, that we can look back in the pages of history and see the great exception to this rule, namely the resurrection of Christ thy Son. And Father, we thank thee that though he died and was buried yet that he rose again the third day, triumphant over death. And we thank thee for this, O Lord, for all that it means for us. It means our salvation. It means our glorious hope. And when Christ returns, our vile bodies, the bodies of our humiliation, will be changed and fashioned like unto Christ's glorious body. But we thank thee also, O Father, that we need not wait until then to know the great power that can come through Christ's resurrection. But if we believe in him, we have within our hearts the Holy Spirit dwelling, who was the one that raised up Christ from the dead, enabling us to walk in newness of life. And today we pray that many may come to taste the powers of the age to come, that many may come to know the power of the risen Christ within their own hearts and in their own lives. Today we pray especially for, the, for our servicemen and those of our allies scattered abroad across the globe. We pray that many may come to know Christ as their Savior, as the word is ministered to them by the faithful chaplains. And we would also pray for those who are considered as their enemies, that they too may come to know Christ. And Father, as we look out on this war-torn, sin-sick world, rocking and reeling because 
It is infected with a dread malady called sin. We pray especially for the missionaries who are endeavoring to bring the gospel to every tongue and tribe before Jesus comes, that thou wilt enable them to speak with special boldness and with great effectiveness, and that many may come to know Christ in these closing days. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Old Fashioned Revival Hour with Dr. Charles E. Fuller. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 9, verses 1 to 6. I'll provide additional information after Dr. Fuller concludes his message, Seeing the Risen Lord. Without further ado, let's rejoin Dr. Fuller in the Old Fashioned Revival Hour.
Turn in your Bibles to the ninth chapter of the book of Acts, speaking upon this theme, seeing the risen Lord. Acts chapter 9, the sacred account of the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, is one of the mighty mountain peak chapters of the word of God. You will recall that in Acts 1.8, the risen Lord, just before his ascension into glory, had told the waiting disciples to wait until they be endued with power from on high. Then they would be witnesses unto him both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Chapter 2, Pentecost, we see Peter and John in chapters 3, 4, and 5, witnessing in Jerusalem. Chapter 6 and 7, Stephen the first martyr. Chapter 8, Philip witnessing in Samaria and then to the lonely Ethiopian eunuch on the desert side of Judea. And now we come to chapter 9, the conversion of Saul, who after his conversion became Paul, witnessing to the uttermost part of the earth. Three great missionary journeys, the inspired writer of the great epistles of the New Testament, books, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, and in all probability the book of Hebrews. At least 12 of the 27 books of the New Testament written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through the human channel Paul. And if it were tr- was true about Abel being dead yet speaketh, how much more it is true regarding Paul being dead, yet speaketh. And I say to you, you who are redeemed and have the forgiveness of sins through the blood of Christ, you who are enjoying this great salvation, humanly speaking, it's because of the conversion of this one man, Saul of Tarsus. And now let's begin in... May I have time only to go down to about the fifth or sixth verse today, just touching the high points in this marvelous chapter. We'll spend a few Sundays in the ninth chapter of Acts. Now notice the words, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogue, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. There are previous glimpses of Saul 
You take in the seventh chapter, verse 58, the scene of the stoning of Stephen, the first martyr. We find these words, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. Then in chapter 8, verse 1, And Saul was consenting unto his death, that is, the death of Stephen. As a member of the religious group, the Sanhedrin, he cast his vote that Stephen should die. This man, Saul, born in Tarsus, northwest of Antioch, in the eastern part of Asia Minor, in the province of Cilicia, he received his religious training and education from his father and mother, Hebrews of the Hebrews, trained up in the group called the Pharisee. Later, he was sent to Jerusalem to complete his religious education. And at the feet of Gamaliel, he sat and absorbed all of the beautiful and religious teaching of that day. And we read in Acts 22, verses 3 and 4, speaking there before in his defense, I am verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous towards God, as ye all are this day. And I persecuted this way unto death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. Now will you note, please, Saul's religious zeal, as outlined in verses 1 and 2, and Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, breathing hard, out of threatening and murderous desire. Here is the picture of a man fiercely opposed, breathing hard, laying waste the newly found church of Jesus Christ. But there's one little word which speaks volumes in this verse. And it's upon this word I feel led of the Holy Spirit to dwell. Underline the little word, yet. Or, as we might put it, the word still, but Saul yet still breathing out threatening and murderous desires against the disciples of the Lord. Now, this is a very small word which seems as though it mattered little, yet it is full of profound significance. To omit this word, we have the picture of a fierce man determined to stamp out the Nazarene heresy, a man definitely appointed as the public prosecutor of the Church of Christ. But that is not all the picture. This word, yet, or still, is one which su suggests continuity in an attitude in spite of something. Let me repeat that this word, yet, or still, is one which suggests continuity in an attitude in spite of something. Let me explain. You notice in verse 5 of the chapter 9 of Acts, the risen Lord speaking to Saul said, 
It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks or the goad. What did the Lord mean? He meant this. Saul, there are forces working about you that would drive you in one direction. You are kicking against those forces. Let's see what those forces were against which Paul was kicking. Saul had seen Stephen stoned to death. He had seen Stephen's face lighted up with the glory of heaven's light. Now note the words. He had heard Stephen, and this is important, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Saul then had a revelation of the risen Lord. And I believe, firmly believe, Saul then came under deep conviction. And Saul, yet still in the face of that wonderful revelation, in the face of that glorious light from heaven, in face of Stephen's wonderful statement, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge, Saul, yet breathing out, continued headstrong, sinning against the light, went on the road to Damascus to persecute the church in that great city. This small but important word, yet, speaks volumes. And I believe I have the leading of the Holy Spirit when I say to you that then and there, Paul was under deep conviction. And over the past 35 years of gospel preaching, I've seen many come under deep conviction. The light of the glorious gospel of Christ through the preaching of the inspired word has brought that conviction, deep conviction. And before conversion, that is between the time of conviction and conversion, Men have plunged headlong into deeper deeds of darkness, kicking against the two-edged sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. I have seen some indulge in vile sins of the flesh to drown conviction. I have seen some plunge into wild orgies of worldliness, pleasures of sin which last but for a moment. I have seen some go into deep unbelief, throwing away all restraint under conviction. I have seen some deliberately reject the Word of God and sit in the scorner's seat, ridiculing the holy things of God, angered at the Word. In fact, one time we received a letter from a man who... Under a drunken stupor, the radio happened to be turned in on the old-fashioned revival hour, reached up and took the radio and threw it across the room. The following week, though the radio was not damaged, in a drunken stupor again, it so happened in the providence of God that that radio was again tuned to the old-fashioned revival hour and he was brought to a sweet saving knowledge of Jesus. Cheer up, Christian wife. If husband becomes angry at the preaching of the word, he's under deep conviction. And there's hope. 
that he'll be saved. I've seen some, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, procrastinate, put off, until in some cases it was too late, and the last enemy, death, has done its work, and souls have died in their sins, not being able to go where Jesus is. So bear in mind here in chapter 1, we have a man under a deep conviction, fighting against the revelation of the Lord, deliberately in intense anger, hatred, murderous intentions, going to Damascus to make havoc, to wreck the early church at Damascus. And Saul, yet breathing hard from the very depths of his soul, breathing out threatenings and murderous desires, against whom? Now notice, if he found any of this way. And that speaks describing those who had found Christ the way, the truth, and the life. That is, believers in Jesus Christ. He might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, now notice, he came near Damascus. And in that city were some 30 or 40 synagogues. At that time, some 40,000 Jews living in that great city. And Saul desired to search out those of the way, the new way through Christ the living way, to seek out believers, to bring them newly, that newly found church, bring them back bound uh, to Jerusalem. Notice verse 3. And as he journeyed, he came near Jerusalem, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And the word means flashed, flashed around him. And in the recent explosion of the atomic bomb at Yucca Flats in Nevada, the papers reported that the light of that bomb, the intensity of that light, was 100 times the light intensity from the natural sun. Notice, a light from heaven. And Paul speaks of it in the 22nd chapter as a great light above the brightness of the noonday desert sun. And as a result, Saul fell to the earth. Could it be that the shock wave from that glorious light flash caused him to fall to the ground? And he heard a voice saying, Saul... Saul, why persecutest thou me? Now notice what Paul's or Saul said. The same voice that spoke to Abraham, Abraham. The same voice that spoke to Samuel, Samuel. The same voice that spoke to Simon, Simon. The same voice that spoke to Martha at the tomb of Lazarus, Martha. Martha, the same voice now speaks to Saul. You may not agree with me on this, but I believe that out of that light flash, we have the first television from glory. And Paul, Saul, saw in a moment on the screen from heaven the risen Lord. What did he do? Now, will you note the words? Who art thou, Lord? 
He had heard Stephen say, now notice it. He had heard Stephen say, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And here, under conviction, the voice out of heaven, he says, Who art thou? Art thou Lord? Back comes the sweet reply, Why persecutest thou me? Stephen had said, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge, as I mentioned a moment ago. In other words, in that question, Who art thou, Lord? Saul was saying in his mind, Art thou the same, Lord? Stephen addressed in his dying hour, Can it be the same, Lord? Now notice the compassionate, Reply of Jesus of Nazareth. And the Lord said, verse 5, I love this. I am Jesus. Jesus wept at the tomb of the sister or the brother of Martha and Mary. I am Jesus. Listen, Saul. I am the despised Nazarene. The one whom you consider dead, disgraced, despised, and hated. The same Jesus, Saul, you thought dead, is alive forevermore. I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I'll have to close with this. Be much in prayer. And Saul, trembling and astonished. Now, will you notice, first, he directs his question to the Lord. And in that moment, he said, first, who art thou, Lord, inquiring? But now, when Jesus spoke to him, who is the way, the truth, and the life, Paul suddenly realizes, and in a moment, was converted and said, Lord, and no man calleth him Lord, save by the Holy Spirit. What wilt thou have me to do? He stood on the threshold of his light, suddenly realizing that he was a soldier enlisting in the cause, presenting his body as a living sacrifice, ready at instant obedience to do God's will, no matter where that will would lead him. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? I submit myself, said Paul, body and soul and spirit. I acknowledge you, Lord. What wilt thou have me to do? Let me just read this in closing. It comes to my mind. First Timothy. First chapter, verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer, a persecutor, and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus And this is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. 
If God could save Paul a murderer, he can save you. Let's bow our heads in prayer. I'm pressed for time. You and the radio audience, give your hearts to Christ today and acknowledge him, Lord. How many here will put their hands up in this visible audience today and say, by the uplifted hand, Brother Fuller, pray for me. I need Christ as my personal Savior, and I want to receive him today as my Savior and Lord. God bless you. Put your hand up any place in this audience. God bless you. God bless you over here. Continue in prayer as we leave the air. This is Charles E. Fuller bidding you goodbye and God's richest blessing upon you. My friends, Dr. Fuller's messages are intended to give you assurance that when you die, you will be with the Lord. If you are not a Christian but responded to Dr. Fuller's call to commit your life to Jesus Christ, we have materials we'd be happy to send to you that will help you with that next important step. However, as Dr. Fuller has mentioned many times, man knows not the time of departure from this life, and there is no second chance after you die. There are several ways to reach us. By telephone on our toll-free phone number, 1-800-977-6374. Or if you prefer to write, address your letter to Old Fashioned Revival Hour, 700 Locust Street, Pasadena, California, 91101. We appreciate hearing from our listeners, so won't you take a few minutes and send us a letter or email to let us know you are listening and enjoy the program. It would be a great encouragement to us, and if you have memories of the old-fashioned Revival Hour, we'd love to hear those as well. We also publish a bi-monthly newsletter, Heart to Heart, which contains history and current news of the old-fashioned Revival Hour. We'd be happy to send it to you free of charge just for the asking. We also have a resource catalog that lists over 40 albums of music from the broadcast, along with other resources that are available. Included in the package is an introductory CD or cassette tape which has a sampling of the gospel music that is available. Contact us after the broadcast and we'll get your request on its way and there is no cost or obligation for these materials. In case you missed our address, I'll give that to you one more time. By telephone on a toll-free number 1-800-977-6374 or you can write to us at Old Fashioned Revival Hour, 700 Locust Street, Pasadena, California, 91101. And friends, this message is now being heard on over 100 radio stations across our nation and by short wave to the rest of the world. God is blessing the Old Fashioned Revival Hour and leading us to continue to broadcast the good news of the gospel by radio. Our request is for your prayers and support as we send out the message of salvation to a world that desperately needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. This Old Fashioned Revival Hour broadcast was produced on the campus of Fuller Seminary in Pasadena, California. And this is your host, Kurt Roberts, wishing you God's richest blessings until we return next week at this same time with another edition of the Old Fashioned Revival Hour. <laughs>